Commanding Officer Ryan reporting on deck. Sir, the Federation of Dave has begun their assault on our flagship, SSXXX McLovin. Doesn't look good, sir. Damn, Dave's! Do we know why they're attacking the McLovin? It appears they are after our rock and roll time machine, Right. Set phases to obliterate everything in front of us. We're gonna ride our ship right up the damn Dave hole. But, Captain, the chances of us blowing up the Dave ship are a million to one. I like those odds. Leroy Jenkins! episode of Rock and Roll Time Machine. I'm your host, Ryan Price, and what a show I got for you today. First up on our list of people in the past that we will visit is Johnny Appleseed. Born in 1774, he was an American pioneer who earned his fame for his great love of apple trees and cider. After that, we're going to go to Sicily, 278 BC to visit Archimedes, who is noted for his works like saving his city with a death ray and taking a bath. Finally, we will visit Mary Firth, born in London around 1584. Her nickname was Mole Cutpurse, and she garnered fame for her disreputable character and skills at thievery. So we got quite a lineup for you, but before we get to these amazing folks in history, first, some music.
your surface Cause that don't make me nervous I'll be so effective You won't be effective I'm not trying to be your man I'm just your disinfectant If I could
It's no ordinary world You're unique in every way Always in the sun And never in the shade I can't think of a stranger love To hold yourself above another Just cause you're
only the finest animals. And each employee honors our dress code of wearing a coffee sack and pot on our heads. Heck, we know it makes us look a little crazy, but I guess we're just that crazy about our apples. So who was Johnny Appleseed? John Chapman was born September 26, 1774 and is better known as Johnny Appleseed. He was an American pioneer nurseryman who introduced apple trees to large parts of America and Canada. He became an American legend while still alive due to his kind, generous spirit, his leadership in conservation, and the symbolic importance he gave to apples. It is said that an 18-year-old John persuaded his 11-year-old brother, Nathaniel, to go west with him in 1792. The duo apparently lived a nomadic life until their father brought his large family west in 1805, and he met up with them in Ohio. The brothers parted ways, with Nathaniel staying with the family and John beginning an apprenticeship as an orchardist at an apple orchard. The popular image is of Johnny Appleseed spreading apple seeds randomly everywhere he went, but this isn't quite how it happened. In fact, he planted nurseries rather than orchards, built fences around them to protect them from livestock, and left the nurseries in the care of a neighbor who sold trees on shares and returned every year or two to tend to the nursery. He planted his first nursery in Pennsylvania. Johnny's success was not centered around fresh apples, but rather the cider they could create. Cider was an essential at the American dinner table at that time, so most homes had their own small orchard. Johnny planted orchards all along the pioneers' roots. He would then trade his seedlings with new settlers in the area so that they could grow apples for their new homes. As Johnny traveled, he preached the gospel, and during his travels, he converted many Native Americans whom he admired. The Native Americans regarded him as someone who had been touched by the Great Spirit. One story tells of Johnny hearing about a horse that was to be put down. He bought the horse, bought a few grassy acres nearby, and gave the horse time to recover. Once healthy, Johnny gave the horse to someone in need, exacting a promise to treat the horse humanely. During his later life, Johnny was a vegetarian. He never married. He thought he would find his soulmate in heaven if she did not appear to him on earth. Both Johnny's death and gravesite have been disputed over the years, although it is likely he lived to be around 70 years old and was probably buried in Archer Cemetery in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Well, there's a ring in my ears, but there's the devil on my tongue. Feel like I ain't been out in years, but when I'm with you, it's too much fun. Rolling the dice to love
Now it's time for your Johnny Appleseed facts. Fact number one, the story nearly ended tragically in 1819. One morning while Johnny was picking hops in a tree, he fell and caught his neck in the fork of the tree. Shortly afterwards, one of his helpers, an eight-year-old, John White, found him struggling in the tree. Unable to get him out, John White cut the tree down to save Johnny's life. Fact number two, Johnny Appleseed's trademark outfit was a coffee sack, dress, and a tin pot he used as a hat. He traveled barefoot. Fact number three, since 1975, the Johnny Appleseed Festival has been held the third full weekend in September in Johnny Appleseed Park and in Archer Park in Fort Wayne. Musicians, demonstrators, and vendors dress in the early 19th century attire and offer contemporary food and beverages. Quotes. Quote number one, do not worry at being worried, but accept worry peacefully. Difficult, but not impossible. Quote number two, the New Testament, and to a very large extent the old, is the soul of man. You cannot criticize it. It criticizes you. Quote number three, pray as you can, not as you can't. And those are your quotes and facts. Now, more music.
word on the streets of ancient Sicily is that you have a death ray. This vexes me, Archie, that you haven't told me, your dear old Uncle Don Carleon, about this. I could really use this to melt the face off my rivals and then tie them to blocks and throw them in some water. I believe you call this displacement. Well, Archie, I got a lot of people I need to displace. Capiche? Now get out of here. So who was Archimedes? Archimedes was born in 278 BC in Syracuse, Sicily. His father was an astronomer, and there is evidence that Archimedes was related to the king of Syracuse. Archimedes was educated in Alexandria, Egypt. Archimedes gained a reputation in his own time, which few other mathematicians of this period achieved. This was not due to widespread interest in new mathematical ideas, but because Archimedes had invented many machines which were used as engines of war. These were particularly effective in the defense of Syracuse when it was attacked by the Romans under the command of Marcellus. He is most famous for discovering the law of hydrostatics, sometimes known as Archimedes' principle. This states that a body immersed in fluid loses weight equal to the weight of the amount of fluid it displaces. Archimedes apparently made this discovery when stepping into his bath, causing him to run excitedly through the streets exclaiming, Eureka! In his own work, Archimedes proposes a number system capable of expressing numbers up to 8 times 10 to the power of 63. He argues in his work, that this number is large enough to count the number of grains of sand which could be fitted into the universe. Archimedes needed to give the dimensions of the universe to be able to count the number of grains of sand which it could contain. He states that Aristarchus has proposed a system with the sun at the center and the planets, including Earth, revolving around it. The claw of Archimedes, or the ship shaker, was a weapon Archimedes designed to protect his hometown from invasion. The claw consisted of a crane-like arm from which a large metal grappling hook was suspended. When the claw was dropped onto an attacking ship, the arm could swing upwards, lifting the ship out of the water and possibly sinking it. Modern experiments have concluded that this was a workable device. The most debatable device Archimedes created was the heat ray. It is said that he may have had used multiple mirrors or glass to act as a reflector to burn ships attacking Syracuse. It is written that during the siege of Syracuse around 214 BC, Archimedes destroyed enemy ships with fire. Centuries later, the term burning glasses was used to describe Archimedes' weapon. The device, sometimes called the Archimedes heat ray, was used to focus sunlight onto approaching ships, causing them to catch fire. 
In the modern era, similar devices have been constructed and may be referred to as a helostat or solar furnace. A test of Archimedes' heat ray was carried out in 1973 by a Greek scientist. The experiment took place at a naval base outside of Athens. On this occasion, 70 mirrors were used, each with a copper coating and a size of around five foot by three foot. The mirrors were pointed at plywood mock-up of Roman warships at a distance of around 160 feet. When the mirrors were focused accurately, the ship burst into flames within a few seconds. The plywood ship had a coating of tar paint, which may have aided in the combustion. A coating of tar would have been commonplace on ships in the classical era. Archimedes' death has been heavily disputed. It is said that he was contemplating a mathematical diagram when Syracuse was captured. A Roman soldier commanded him to come and meet Marcellus, but he declined, saying that he had to finish working on the problem. The soldier was enraged by this and killed Archimedes with his sword. The last words attributed to Archimedes are, Do not disturb my circles, a reference to the circles in the mathematical drawing that he was supposedly studying when disturbed by the Roman soldier. However, there is no reliable evidence that Archimedes uttered these words. Tell me,
Now it's time for your Archimedes facts. Fact number one. Archimedes applied his understanding of geometry and physics to develop immensely powerful levelers. By calculating the length, strength, and position of the lever and fulcrum point relative to an object being lifted, he revolutionized methods of construction. He was so confident in the potential of his levers, he even claimed, give me a place to stand and I shall move the earth. Fact number two, a brilliant mathematician, Archimedes is credited with forming the earliest accurate measurements of a circle using the irrational number pi, Sursa 314, also known as Archimedes constant. This number was theorized by the mathematician in his book of measurement of a circle. Though it's been described more accurately since, Archimedes' number is still used today. Fact number three. The works of Archimedes were written in Doric Greek, a dialect of ancient Syracuse. His original written work has not survived. The seven of his treaties that are known have existed only through references made to them by other authors. Quotes. Quote number one. Man has always learned from the past. After all, you can't learn history in reverse. Quote number two. Rise above oneself and grasp the world. Quote number three. Those who claim to discover everything but produce no proofs of the same may be confuted as having actually pretended to discover the impossible. All my life, all I want is happiness to find you. Even if it means it's not with me. And when you're in the arms of another, I only hope you feel complete.
found Can't you feel my love, love, do you like the sound? We are made of dreams, heaven knows we are Angels sang a song when we killed the superstar People talk, just let them talk, we're better than that Would you meet me in the highest Saturday night? People hate, just let them hate, we're better than that You can find me in the crowd on Saturday night When we bring in paradise, yeah
Cause you are in my soul, in my soul, in my soul I never make you cry, make you cry, make you cry You give me sunrise with your smile I'll never be alone Distract them with a French map of Disneyland, insisting you must be close. Londoner gazes at map. Confusion takes a deeper hold. Next, step three, lightly use hand to reach to most open pocket. If Londoner is made aware, say they are looking fit and give a wink. If successful, finally, walk away with whatever can be grabbed. If Londoner yells after you, reply that you are late to your train for Hogwarts. Londoner should realize at this point you might be mental. Well done. So who was Mary Firth? Mary Firth was born around 1584 in the city of London. She earned several nicknames, including Mole Cut Purse, which referenced her disreputable character and skills in thievery. She was also known as the Roaring Girl. The meaning comes from the early modern London trend of roaring boys or aggressive young boys of lower social stations that defied social norms by dressing as upper-class gentlemen. At an early age, her paternal uncle attempted to reform the young mole by sending her to New England, but she jumped off the ship before it departed the harbor and swam ashore. She refused to go near her uncle again. Mole first gained notoriety in the 1600s when she was accused of stealing two shillings and 11 pence. Two plays appeared shortly after, one of which still survives today. The play denounces her scandalous behavior, which included swearing, smoking a pipe, and wearing men's attire. The latter being particularly shocking at a time when the body was considered to be a delicate balance of humors that also represented society at large. Therefore, dressing in clothing that was to be worn on a male body drastically upset the balance of the body and thus the balance of society. Essentially, Mole was challenging the norms and standards of the time in the most shocking of fashions. Despite this, Mole is praised for her virtue, including attacking a man that assumed all women to be prostitutes, and in her refusal to marry, she was seen as chaste. She was also a notorious cut purse, or as it is known at the time, nipping a bung. The trick was to cut the purse from the belt of a wealthy citizen and disappear before they realized 
Mole also dabbled in a lucrative fortune-telling trade. Mole's friend, William Banks, once bet the Mole that she didn't have the courage to ride across London dressed as a man. Mole accepted the bet and won it. She not only rode in men's clothes, but also flew a banner and blew a trumpet as well. Of course, Mole didn't always get away with such actions. On December 25th, 1611, she was arrested for being incidentally dressed and accused of prostitution. The following year, she was ordered to do public penance at St. Paul's Cross for her evil living. Despite these little setbacks, Mole continued to grow her business. She admits that by the 1620s, she was working as a pimp, procuring young women for men and also men lovers for middle-aged housewives. In the 1640s, Mole was admitted to Bethlehem Hospital, aka Bedlam, due to supposed insanity. This may be due to the story that she shot and robbed a general. She apparently paid a bribe of 2,000 pounds, which was probably the equivalent to several hundred thousand pounds today, to avoid death or imprisonment. To be fair, being branded insane was far better an option than execution or imprisonment in the notorious brutal prisons of the 17th century in London. Later still, the Newgate calendar records that at 74 years old, Mole began being grown crazy in her body and discontented in the mind. She yielded to the next distemper that approached her, which was the dropsy, a disease which had such strange and terrible symptoms that she thought she was possessed and that the devil had got within her doublet. She died of dropsy in 1659 and was buried in St. Bride's Churchyard, Fleet Street.
are you thinking? What are you drinking? Sitting on your own. What are you feeling? Is there a reason why you're Everything I... 
Now it's time for your Mary Firth facts. Fact number one. The mole was burnt four times on her hands as punishment for stealing. Fact number two. Aside from a cut purse and pimp, mole was also a fence, which is someone who receives or exchanges goods. But did you know mole would return items to their original owners if they successfully and sufficiently appealed to her? Fact number three. She is said to have had a great sense of humor. On one occasion, a prankster partially filled her pipe with gunpowder and on finding out found it hilarious. Quotes. Quote number one. They might as soon have shamed a black dog as me with any kind of such punishment for saving the reverence due to those who enjoined it. For a halfpenny, I would have traveled to the market towns in England with it and been as proud of it as that citizen who rode down to his friends in his livery gown and hood. Mole's gleeful response to her penance. Quote number two. Where passing under the gate, a plaguey orange wench knew me, and no sooner let me pass her, but she cried out, Mal cut purse on horseback, which set the people that were passing by and the folks in the shops a hooting and a hollowing as if they had been mad, winding their cries to this deep note. Come down, thou shame of woman, or we will pull thee down says Mole as she enters London riding on her friend's famous horse. Quote number three. She could not endure that sedentary life of sewing or stitching. A sampler was as grievous to her as a winding sheet. And on her needle, bodkin and thimble, she could not think quietly, wishing them changed into a sword and dagger for a bout of cudgels. Mole describes herself in her autobiography. And that's all for this show. Thank you for tuning in and here's some more music to play us out.
with me? I just can't stop, boy, you're loving. Can't stop, you're playing with me. I just can't stop, boy, you're loving. Stop, yo.